This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today on Dreamland, we're going back into the not-too-distant past to talk about something that should have happened a very different way and still has enormous value. You're guessing now, what could that be? Well, there was a time when we talked about it every year because it was the season to talk about it. Now the season for this year is over. It's still nevertheless. There have been some beautiful crop circles, but the whole crop circle phenomenon was de-energized, would be the best way to put it, by a combination of I think an extraordinary effort on the part of the American and probably also British intelligence communities in complicity with the general media. And the result of this is many of you will be thinking, oh, crop circles, that's all fake. Oh, no, it's not. It is suppressed, suppressed. And we're going to be talking today to Andy Thomas, who's had some truly extraordinary experiences in working with and studying crop formations. Andy is coming to us from England. Uh, I've known Andy. We have mutual friends in the UK, and we've met a few times. And uh, he's a lovely guy. He's got a lot of wild, wonderfully wild ideas. You can find out more about his ideas at truthagenda.org. Uh, he has a book out called The New Heretics, which will either curl your hair or make it fall out, depending upon your reaction to it. Uh, we are going to talk, though, more mostly about a book he wrote some years ago called Quest for Contact, an absolutely amazing story about an effort to engage with the formers of the crop circle, the creators of the crop circles, the real ones not Doug and Dave. Andy, you know, before we go on, I and I, I would like to welcome you to Dreamland first. Uh, I'm talking a little bit too long here. So it, I just want to talk about a little bit about Doug and Dave. And you remember that story. Indeed, I do. I um, mean, if anybody doesn't know who they are, uh, they they were the two elderly gentlemen who, in September of 1991, suddenly came forward and said that they had made all the crop circles, even though they had no evidence for that. And then the ones that they made in front of cameras were really not good. But it, it did enough to make people in the wider world think, oh, the whole crop circle thing's a joke. And yet, most people had not looked at the evidence. And when, of course, you realize how long crop circles have been going on, how many there were, how amazing they were, and you then compared them to what Doug and Dave were showing, uh, it was soon obvious that they were not the answer to the crop circles. And yet the idea stuck, as you say, it did de-energize interest. And yet still it goes on. And here we are today still talking about crop circles and Doug and Dave are long gone. Now, there was some connection between Doug and Dave and the Central Intelligence Agency, as I recall. Well, I don't know about the CIA, but there was uh, an attempt to find out who put this story out. 
Uh, and interestingly, at the bottom of the newspaper story that first broke their claims, there was a little tiny bit saying copyright MBF services. And when the researcher George Wingfield tried to track down this press agency called MBF services, it didn't exist. And the only phone number he ever traced to anything with any connection to that name turned out to be an office that had, in his view, connections to MI5. So that's like our version, if you like, of the CIA. That's the British intelligence services. And certainly there were many strange things about Doug and Dave. And that discovery led some to think, well, yeah, this was an attempt to, you know, basically extinguish interest in something that had been really building up then to fever pitch. The media have been openly speculating about was it aliens was it incredible forces and then suddenly almost overnight doug and dave ruined it and of course that is what many people believe was the idea see the idea they're all man-made make people not think anything more about them and it worked for a while for some people and it certainly did lasting damage and yet it, it has still survived and interest still survives even now we wouldn't be here today if interest hadn't survived and i want to rekindle it i want to get into this because there are energies that are of great value here as you will see folks andy knows a lot about those energies now uh, i can i will never forget the morning i turned on our national public radio sort of the u.s equivalent of the bbc is national npr national public radio and heard them telling the story of Doug and Dave with condescending chuckles in their voices. I was just sickened, sickened. There's no other way to describe it mm -hmm. because I could see this extraordinary effort that was being made to somehow reach us being destroyed by a, a darkness that maybe even comes from within mankind that we don't fully understand and i knew from that moment on that the crop formations would die out in the general public consciousness and before doug and dave there was something real building even in the media the bbc tried to study them and it was there was a very open-minded approach to it for a while there was there was i mean interestingly uh, a year before duck and dave there'd been an early attempt to try to crumble away public interest and you mentioned the bbc so that's right so the researcher colin andrews and pat delgado they were working with the bbc to film an area where crop circles were known to appear and they put cameras there and infrared detectors and all of this and then one night uh, a crop formation did appear there, but when they got down inside, there was like a strange Ouija game board. There was a wooden crucifix placed in the middle. And it looked like, although some have argued this round in more ways than one, but it looked like somebody had got down in front of the cameras and managed to make a crop circle. And of course, that then seeded doubt in the public eye then. It was like, oh, well, maybe it is possible to fool all of these researchers. But luckily, that managed to sort of fade away. And then it was a year later, after a summer of amazing formations in 1991, when uh, it's almost like somebody thought, right, we've got to push go now on the debunk story properly. We had a little go the year before. Now, 
we've got to end the public interest. And Doug and Dave were entertaining. There's no getting around it. I mean, it was quite fun if you didn't know the real story. And that sort of image of a man with a piece of wood and a piece of string crunching around, that was very strong set against all these people like myself speculating about what this might be could yes. it be alien could it be psychic could it be so on and so on that's that's weak to the media they need a good solid answer and sadly for them the man-made answer that was good news for them it was a good media story that didn't mean it was true and uh, indeed it wasn't true and Doug and Dave faded away other people have copied them over the years and of course some are man-made but that simply does not explain the whole thing it doesn't no not at all and we're, we're going to take a little break right now and then when we come back we're going to be asking Andy about the whole issue of motive such an effort to de-energize this mystery We'll be right back. We're talking to Andy Thomas about a book of his called Quest for Contact. His website is truthagenda.org. He's got a book out more recently called The New Heretics. Uh, it goes deeply into conspiracy theories, which are not my thing, having been sort of uh, entangled in at least two major conspiracy theories in my life. I stay away from the whole field, as you folks know, because it's a, a lot of reasons for that that I don't want to go into, which is one of the reasons I stay away from it. But my, maybe one of these days we'll get together and I'll figure out how to interview Andy about some of his ideas because they're quite fascinating. And I would suggest you go to truthagenda.org and make your own decisions about what may be there. And uh, now, but let's go back to the motive because we have these, I remember the, the, the uh, fractal formations that appeared near Stonehenge and so forth that were breathtaking, amazing things that were happening. And uh, yet there was this effort to kind of kill it to kill it, as I say, to take the energy out. Uh, what was the motive behind that? And let's assume there's a government level of interest in it, because there, there was. I, I think that it's rather clear that it, it, government, and certainly the general media, which you and I have to agree, is connected in many ways to the government, especially organs like National Public Radio in the U.S., and obviously the BBC is a government entity, uh, and uh, the New York Times is very much uh, uh, integrated with the U.S. Defense Department, despite what they say. Um, I happen to, well, anyway, let's not go down that road. The motive for creating the, this subterfuge about the crop circles, for killing the energy, I mean, if you think about it, if you were a security service, you should be concerned if you've got these huge shapes appearing. Often people are seeing strange lights and strange phenomena seen in and around these shapes. Um, if they were not interested, I'd want to know why. 
many crop circle researchers have seen military helicopters photographing them filming them now some of that is because they tend to be in that area where many crop circles uh, occur in a place called Salisbury Plain in uh, Wiltshire in England but nonetheless they are clearly interested and I think in 1991 the the, the fever pitch public furore around crop circles I think was getting to the point where people were openly discussing could there be alien life creating it could it be UFOs and suddenly it was almost like somebody didn't feel we were ready for it and they had to find a way to put a lid on it now over the years there have been a number of debunkers who've made claims when they were telephoned and caught out and people recorded their phone calls and everything that insinuated that yeah, there was uh, a concerted attempt to try to destroy interest in the crop circles. There was a, a man called Jim Schnabel who once wrote a, a big sort of debunking book about crop circles, but he was telephoned by a man called uh, Armand Victorian who was trying to get him to reveal what is the motive here for all this debunking. Now, we don't know to this day whether Schnabel was telling the truth or whether it was a wind-up, which he then sort of insinuated later on, but he mentioned everything from government concerns to even Vatican concerns, that there were religious authorities that were very worried about these huge occult symbols as they saw them appearing in the fields, and they just needed to diffuse it. Now, that is something other people have made claims about in the years since, but certainly you can be sure that any establishment authority would not want the general public to get too close to an answer to something before they do, because anything that can leave these shapes there obviously has pretty incredible powers. And it's only now today that we're beginning to see the UFOs or UAPs, as we must now call them, being discussed in Congress. And that's quite a historical thing. But for years, it's just been denigrated and ignored. Uh, maybe something's about to change. Other people think that in itself might be another new distraction, but that remains to be seen. Well, it would be nice if something finally did change because we're coming uh, increasingly into a, a time, what it looks like a time of increasing chaos on planet Earth with wars and strange weather and uh, so forth and uh we need something more we need some truth around here and we have very little of that uh i interestingly enough and my wife and i spent some time in the vatican with uh corrado balducci uh who was at the time was uh, a monsignor and he was a kind of a uh, a uh, uh, he 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 looked into things that the then Pope John Paul was interested in, but couldn't dare to uh, involve the papacy in, and therefore we ended up having a dinner with Monsignor Balducci, in which crop circles were discussed, as well as aliens and UFOs and so on and so forth, and with the assumption that it would eventually be uh, taken back to the Pope. And I didn't get the impression that Monsignor Balducci knew too much about the crop formations. Of course, he spoke what I would describe as theoretical English, so I'm not absolutely sure we understood each other very well. Um, and, uh, or I could say artificial English. And you never knew exactly what was going on when, we, when you talked with him, and it, was, it wasn't his fault. He just 
you know, I didn't speak any Italian and neither did Anne, or Anne spoke some. And, uh, but uh, in any case, it could be that you mentioned occult, fear of occult symbols. And there is, I know in the U.S. Defense Department, a terrible fear that goes way back to the very beginning to uh, the to the Roswell incident and before that these are the whatever is here are demonic that they're demons and uh, it it rises out of the well for example the relationship between general twining the, who was the head of air materiel command when the uh, debris and bodies were brought from Roswell the year before he had been converted to Catholicism by none other than Padre Pio in Italy. He was, he was stationed in Italy at the time during the war, right after the war. So there has to be a connection there and a fear that may be projected right up into the crop formations. And I just wonder, Andy, what is your reaction? Is there something demonic about this or not? So in my personal view, no, uh, I've never sensed anything other than benevolence, radiance, beauty from this phenomenon. I'd like to think that if there was something very dark at the core of it, you'd be able to kind of feel that somewhere in your gut. But now, listen, of course, in America, you have a strong religious thread running through your whole society. That is Boy, far we, less, though, as much less so here today. So people don't see things in the same way. Um, and I think you have more of a history. If something is unknown, and if there are sort of potentially threatening elements, yes, it, it is seen as demonic. And I have met people who, who have believed that, the crop circles are satanic in some way and not helped by the fact that one of the earliest records that we have of a crop circle is from 1678 and there's an illustration of the devil cutting the circle into a field now to me that was just local superstition but if you have a fear that there is a satanic plot in the world well then of course you're going to apply that to anything that, that you're not sure about in my view i don't i don't believe that is what's going on However, that might explain why there are religious authorities that would be worried. And we should just mention the Vatican even has its own astronomical observatories constantly looking out for signs of extraterrestrial life. And although this seems extraordinary, but it is true because they want to convert them to Catholicism as soon as they arrive here, which to me seems slightly small minded. But anyway, you can't knock people for ambition. And I believe there are religious forces in the world that would care about these shapes, drawing people in, leading people to think differently. And that is certainly what crop circles do. And it takes people away, therefore, from the old established kind of lines of thought. Uh, and that could be something very threatening if you want people back to the original religious ideals. And of course, crop circles generally take people to new ways of looking at the world. Well, including new ways of looking at fractals. I, I remember the Mandelbrot set and the Julia set and fractals that we had not known before appearing. And is that demonic? I don't think so. I think it's it's educational and you know, it's so beautiful. The whole, I've been in crop formations and 
Oh, I'm, I meant to say, I, I, I was, I've been in two crop formations, uh, but both with one, yes, both with Anne. And Anne had, my wife had a very, she was a very sort of down to earth person. She's the last person you would think had anything to do with ghosts or anything like that. But she was highly attractive to the strange. She drew it. And we were in the second formation we were in, the first formation we were in, we met somebody coincidentally whom we'd been wanting to meet for years. Uh, just happened to walk into the same crop circle at the same time. The second one, we were in it alone and we were walking around in it. And suddenly this black unmarked helicopter came and flew around the formation and then came down to, it felt I was, the wind was blowing like they were trying to blow the formation away with, it, it must've been 50 feet above our heads, no more, uh, 20 meters, 30 meters at most. And uh, then it flew away. <laughs> so, you know, I know there's something strange about these formations and I know there's something going on with some other level of human society, whether it's the intelligence community or something really strange that s looks like that, but isn't that, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, that the helicopter incident that you described there, the, that I have heard described also by other people. Now, is that some kind of military intimidation to try to put people off going in? Or as other people have claimed, it's just hotshot pilots training, think, right, let's give this lot of people a scare. And the whole thing's nothing more than a joke. But you can certainly understand why when they're doing dangerous things like that, because they should not be hovering that low over people. Why, yeah, people are going to feel that there is something very dark about that. Uh, well, it was entirely there illegal. This happening. They, they, they were way below the, the, the uh, approved altitude. I mean, yes. you could have, I pr probably could have hit them with a, if I'd thrown a ball up there, I probably could have hit the bottom of the helicopter. It was that close. And the wind and the noise were appalling. You know, it was really not a pleasant experience. It was like they were trying to get us to leave the formation, which worked. We did. Yeah. It flew away and didn't come back, thank God. But it was unmarked. I was right there. I could see it clearly. It was completely black and unmarked. I never got a more than a glimpse of the people in it because of the angle. But it was two men. And they were had helmets on and they had black uniforms on. That I, I, know, I know. And I looked up in the British military. There wasn't any, there wasn't any organization in nothing in the RAF or anything that fl flies black unmarked helicopters and wears black uniforms. So there you have it. But you've got some extraordinary stories. Let's start with when you got first interested in this and then folks, we're going down a road that will re completely rekindle, I hope, your interest in this wonderful, extraordinarily powerful phenomenon. But before that, we'll be right back. We're talking to Andy Thomas about a book of his called Quest for Contact, but I don't think Quest for Contact is in print anymore, is it? No, is it? sadly it's not, but it, it, it was influential at the time. 
Uh, yeah. And, and it, it recorded basically our experiments that we did down here in Sussex. So we're in a county called Sussex, which is in southeast England. And we uh, met with a gentleman called Paul Bura, no longer with us, sadly. But he was uh, a psychic and, you know, a medium and all of the things many of the religious people don't like. But he was just fascinated with crop circles. And he came up with an idea of, well, what if using his psychic abilities, we could try to communicate with whatever it was that was making them? And we started to do a series of experiments with him that led to some really quite uh, extraordinary things happening, which involved a whole group of us, some of whom we're still working together today, uh, certainly still communicating together. And it's a very long story because that what was missing in the evidence at that stage was a clear video of a crop circle forming. Now, later on, one would come and of course everybody just debunked it and said it was a fake video although actually there are still many arguments around that video but at this stage we thought well if we had a video of a crop circle forming you know that would be extraordinary evidence that might show to the world something was going on so the idea was to try to arrange using psychics paul and some other people a time and a place where we would be set up, ready to go with cameras in the hope then that the circle makers, whatever they were, would come and make us a crop circle. And that was the idea. That never quite happened. But along the way, the more we started to give towards this experiment, the more strange things happened. Myself and Martin Noakes, who is known to you, and one other gentleman, we saw balls of light flying over fields. Uh, another one of our team, Barry Reynolds, saw a ball of light crossing a very busy road here in Sussex. We started to have strange psychic experiences. And um, the very day that we held our first meeting in Paul Bura's house to discuss what we were going to do, and nobody else outside of our small group knew what we were going to do. The first crop circle of Sussex that year appeared in a field as near as you could possibly get to Paul's house. It was almost like it was saying, you're on the right lines here. Yeah. So this started, this started around three years of experiments and going up onto hillsides. And, you know, it, it's a long story, but it, it ultimately it sort of manifested in the end a crop circle that was exactly the shape that we had anticipated. We played notes of music, which Martin played as sine waves, a very pure form, because we have been told to do that in all the messages that were coming through. So we were sitting up there on a hillside playing the music, just being very still as the sun went down, very beautiful. And that very night, exactly the shape that we had anticipated six circular elements in a row appeared and it didn't appear exactly where we thought it would thus we didn't capture it on camera and but it was too uncanny for that not to have been a formation that we had had something to do with and our work and other work like that has inspired later experiments there are still people today trying these interactive experiments with some really interesting results and many formations have been manifested now in response to what people if you like are putting out there 
So I think there is a mind connection between us and whatever wider forces are creating this. Something is either responding to us or we are putting something out there into the wider system that creates them. But it's not straightforward. And certainly we convinced ourselves that there was certainly an interaction going on. Uh, and hence, in the end, we wrote this into the book, quest for contact to record what we did and to help encourage other people to try this kind of work you know i would like to go to i, I would like to uh return in a few minutes to the question of what's happening now because there are people i suspect people who have gone very far down this path and maybe some of them have become rather secretive about what they're doing, because that, that kind of goes with the territory. I know people who, in, in this country, who get deeply involved with the entities I call the visitors, and they end up uh, doing what I would like to do, which I can't, because I'm sort of a world walker in this thing, uh, which is they end up buying a house out in the desert or deep in the forest and kind of going there and becoming part of something. And I wonder if that's maybe happening to some of the people uh, who are uh, manifesting communication with the circle makers. Now, I want to talk, though, now about uh, this some of the remarkable early stories of eyewitness. And it must have been rather maddening to you guys because you knew that, this, that there were such a thing as eyewitnesses, and it, and and it would do everything except let you have that eyewitness experience. Tell us about the, this incredible story of Vivian and Gary Tomlinson back in 1994. What happened to them? So, uh, well, indeed, I think the story broke in 1994, but actually what happened to them occurred in 1989. Ah. Uh, that in itself is interesting because that's caused confusion in the media where people then accuse them of making up the story because they got their dates wrong, but they didn't get the dates wrong. This always happened to them in 1989. Uh, and myself and Barry Reynolds, we, we did actually go and interview uh, Vivian and, and Gary Tomlinson to, to get to the absolute detail of what really happened to them. And cutting a much longer story short, one early evening, nice summer's evening, they were walking along a footpath that went into a wheat field. So there was wheat either side of them, the path went across the field. Now they knew nothing about crop circles at the stage. Um, and then suddenly they looked across and they noticed that the trees in the distance were agitated, like something was moving them. Now, there was barely any wind. They said it was calm, it was warm. And then suddenly it was like this force suddenly moved towards them, hit the field where they were standing. And suddenly around them, this incredible rushing occurred. And the, the crops started to literally sweep down. There were two circles with a zigzag between them and they were on a path, but they were sucked into the field and the crop started to literally twirl down around them. They both reported a kind of electric blue flickering and looking up a funnel going right up into the sky. It was like electrically charged. And this was a very alarming experience for them. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't even know what crop circles were at that stage. 
and they were left suddenly standing in the middle of this circle linked to this other one. But it wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, Vivian had her eardrums perforated by the experience. She said it, it was such a high-pitched sound while this was going on. The way she described it was like somebody blowing panpipes directly into your ear. She came out mm. half deaf. And then when she finally went to a doctor, he said, you've, you've damaged your eardrum. And the other really interesting thing that Gary remembered was that anything metal his belt buckle and the keys that he had in his pocket were red hot and that would be indicative of some kind of electrical force having been present there and it's like you know it had heated them up basically so they they staggered home and, and were not happy it, it was very disturbing to them but then when crop circles started to make their way into the news properly and they've been a little bit but not at that stage they suddenly realized what it was that had happened to them. And that's when they came forward. And they told this story, I believe, very accurately. But because journalists did things like stand them in front of a different crop circle, giving the impression that was the crop circle that they had seen forming when it wasn't, and that wasn't what they were trying to do. You know, it was just a publicity shot. It enabled skeptics to attack them and say, well, you made it up, you're lying, and then say arguments about the dates. We sat down with them. There was no discrepancy at all. We absolutely found their story 100% convincing. And when you put it together with other eyewitness accounts, and there are many out there, and I've interviewed another family who were also present when a crop circle formed and suddenly this circle appeared in the field next to them within a matter of seconds. You realise this is not so uncommon. There is even a Victorian eyewitness sighting which is recorded uh, in uh, the record books of a gentleman again saying that out of nowhere it was like a, a very localised storm began and suddenly took down the crop next to him. So this has been going on for a long time and their experience was absolutely in keeping with so many other eyewitness sightings. You know, given that it has been going on for so long, one wonders if it, whether or not it actually has anything to do with us. Like it seems like the experience that the that that the uh, the we we were just discussing they, they just happen to be sort of in the in in that particular spot at that particular time. There's no and and then you you and many others who have tried to conjure them and and to get them to create themselves in, 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 in where you wanted them to have failed. And uh, in fact, this apartment, in fact, my entire life has been filled with cameras ever since I had my experience with the visitors in 1985. And in all that time, I've gotten essentially nothing. So uh, either they hide and they hid from you or they don't care. Th th this isn't about us. What do you think it is? My feeling about the crop circles in general is you're not meant to have all the answers or not yet. And it's almost like it always keeps it just dangling a little bit away from you. 
and there have been other attempts to film them appearing where it's almost like there's a cheeky quality to it. I mean, another example, I think in the early 1990s, they there was a camera team that put motion sensors around the field. So if anybody went in, they would go off. They had infrared. Anyway, so they were waiting in the hope a crop formation would appear. And then in the night, a very heavy sort of mist came down and nobody saw anything. When the morning came and they came out of the caravan full of all the equipment, there was a, a big crop formation right next to the caravan. Nothing had been picked up. Nothing had been seen or heard. It was almost like something was saying, you're not going to get us like that. And, and yet it then seems to throw this experience to people that don't care or like the Tomlinsons didn't even know what it was. So it's almost like it lets you know that there is a real phenomenon, but it doesn't want the key people who've been researching them to quite get that. It's interesting because one of the sort of channeled messages that we received in a, a beautiful uh, ancient hill fort called Sisbury Ring more or less said, listen, if you think you're going to change the world by getting this film that you want and, and you know, you're going to be suddenly big heroes and think again, it won't work that way. And even if you get that evidence, you're probably not going to be believed. And that then sort of came true, not with us, but because when the video came forward in 1996 and there's other videos, but they're very, very vague. But this one was clear taken at a place called Oliver's Castle, which shows this six arms sort of snowflake pattern appearing under these lights flying around. Sure enough, although the arguing, the arguing still goes on today about whether it's real or not, it, it was dismissed by many people as a probable fake. And indeed, it didn't change things. And it just people shrugged it off yes. and said, wow, I don't believe it's real. So in a way, that message we received was true. Even if we'd succeeded, we probably would have all been branded liars and cheats. And it probably wouldn't have changed the world. It would have been lovely for us to have seen it. But it's almost like it, it doesn't do that. It does it in a very subtle way and gives these experiences to the people that are not necessarily looking for them. Yeah, there's a, well, you know, even people who are looking for them begin to, they fall into the error of looking for more than, than, than a more, or a more final answer than is ever going to be available. And I think that, is part of the Oliver's Castle issue because no one has ever been able to really definitively explain how the Oliver's Castle video was made. Uh, the, I mean, in, it, at the time, now it'd be easy with CGI, but there was no CGI then. So no, or, or very early versions of it. Yeah, it's very not, early. The I mean, yeah, of, not... not the world of deep fakes that we're in today. And indeed, uh, there was a researcher called Paul Vigay who tried to recreate it on his home computer. And though it was a, a valiant attempt, um, it, it really was very crude and very unconvincing. And so, yes, there have been claims that so-and-so made it and names have been put about. But there's never been definitive proof that they did make it. And a lot of people think that that is all just deflection and that whoever took that original video was perhaps persuaded into silence. And certainly it's unresolved all these years later. It's never been categorically explained away. And many people still believe that video is the real thing. As you say, if you did it today 
everyone would just assume you'd knocked it up on your home computer. So, right. you know, the, this is the problem of the time. Now, visual evidence, you're going to have to have 30 people. They're all seeing it happen at the same time with their own cameras before anybody believes it. Um, so, yeah, I did. to me, there is evidence. And there is other, by the way, time-lapse photography showing crop circles appearing in very short periods of time, infrared images and that. So there is other evidence out there like it, but it's never quite as clear and as near as you want. But I think there's enough evidence to show that absolutely there are things occurring in very, very short periods of time, which is interesting because then when you compare to man-made demonstrations, some people are taking like nine, ten hours for a team to make a formation even approaching the scale and complexity of, of what we're used to. And that's so interesting. The time factor is important. Yes, you can make a man-made formation. Some people do. But the time it's taking them compared to many others, like the one you mentioned earlier, the Stonehenge fractal of 1996, I mean, that occurred within 45 minutes. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I know skeptics have said, oh, no, it was there all day and nobody saw it. That is not it's true. It's a lie. It's an, it, it is a lie. lie. There's enough it's not eyewitness just a mistake. It's an actual out it, it, is an actual, it is a lie, yeah. So we know that that occurred in a very short period of time because we have multiple witnesses who know when the field was empty and then we know when it was discovered. So, exactly. you know, if it's taking nine, ten hours to make something not even a third of that length, how, how does this stuff happen so quickly? And the eyewitnesses certainly attest to this happening within seconds. It's really, really quick. Very strange. I want to go back to... Uh, the Tomlinsons and the energies that were involved, the, the, the heated belt buckle, the perforated eardrums. And I want to bring up Dr. William Levengood and his work. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Um, it suggests that heat is an important factor in the creation of the formations because of the blown nodes in the, in the, in the crop where the crop that has a joint and heat is applied to that joint causing the stem to let the stem to turn like that um what is there anything in that is that is he right about that or not i believe he was William Levengood was a biophysicist who actually had uh i think two possibly three papers published in a peer review science journal demonstrating these differences between normal crop and circle affected crop. And as you mentioned, you get swelling on the nodal joints, the knuckles on wheat and barley. There are changes in the embryonic seed heads. There are pittings in the cell walls that are very hard to explain away. Man-made formations do not give you this. And yet so many formations did show these effects when they tested them. And it was the opinion of Levengood that some kind of very brief heat, maybe maybe like even microseconds, you know, a very short time was being used to make the crop pliable and so it could bend without breaking. And then further work took place with his colleague John Burke and Nancy Talbot. They did a lot of dissemination of this work. Um, they were naturally attacked for it by the, the, the real scientists who suddenly said he was not a real scientist. Now, that's the 
problem we always have. If you cover something maverick, even if you're qualified to do so, suddenly you are branded a maverick and you're kind of pushed to the fringes. And that's very unfair. Uh, but there's also the, the Dutch researcher, Joe Hasselhoff, who also has had papers published in peer review journals, uh, demonstrating very similar effects in the crop and also uh, linking them with the balls of light that people see. So I know people often say, well, come on, there's no science here. Where's the science for crop circles? Well, it is there. It's just that it's disregarded by the people that don't want to hear it. And that's always the problem when you're dealing with paranormal research, if we call it that, is that that's just considered not even worth looking at by the people in mainstream science. So you've always got this divide. But in my view, the work was valid. Uh, and uh, we here in Sussex, we helped to actually collect some of the samples that then got sent across to the United States uh, and were then tested. And in my view, they, they were sampled properly. They were tested properly. And just to say that it's all a mistaken, uh, you know, analysis, I, I don't believe it is fair. I, I think that more work like that should be carried out. Uh, especially with today's techniques, which I'm sure have come on uh, in the years since those initial ones were done in the 1990s. But th this is the thing. People are often surprised at the level of work that is out there and the level of papers that have been published. Uh, many people have now forgotten about these. But it's worth going back and looking at this work because you realize that, you know, that there's a lot more credibility to all of this than is given credit for. That's very true, and the, 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 you know the this the people who are skeptical of this, uh, and in fact, all of these, all of the whole frontier of strangeness, which is in the world now, uh, uh, they always will, no matter how good the evidence, they will always demand better evidence, better evidence, better evidence. And, and to the point where you realize after a while that you're not dealing with intellect, you're dealing with emotions, that these people are threatened. They feel threatened mm -hmm. and they are unwilling to, to face the unknown. They can't do it. And in, you get back to the intelligence community and these are people who, uh, who, really don't want the public facing the unknown. It's their job not to let that happen. And they perhaps got quite confused about their mission in MI5, if they indeed were, were involved in Doug and Dave, and I'm pretty sure they were, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency along with them, since they work uh, so closely together quite often. They can't, they themselves can't, face. But you can face the unknown. In fact, you went for it instead. Why is that? I mean, I think anybody that's going to get involved with something like crop circles, and I think the crop circle mystery in particular has offered an opportunity for this. You are faced with something that has so many unexplained levels, so much strangeness around it, but also great beauty, which is what makes it so attractive. Anybody that's going to learn to be comfortable with that phenomenon has to learn to be comfortable with unknowns. 
if you don't embrace the mystery, you're going to wind up fighting. And there have been some people who came into the crop circle world with a preconceived notion of what they thought the answer would be. And they find in the end that you can't ever really prove one theory above another or not yet. And they get spat out the other end. And then some people got very sort of bitter and twisted about that because it didn't offer them what they were expecting. But if you just go in and you take it for what it is and that in the end, it is what I did when I realized I was not going to be able to come to any clear conclusion about what was going on. It's funny. It was like a weightlifting. It was like, actually, like the channel message said, stop trying to prove this or that. Let's just gather the evidence. Let's see what is in front of us and we will state to the world what we see. Beyond that, we'll leave people to make their own minds up. And that, I think, was the key. And I think those in the crop circle community that took that approach did better. The ones that had an axe to grind, that had a theory to push, largely faded away in the end because it wasn't possible to prove it. And as we mentioned earlier, with you know that almost mischievous quality of the phenomenon, it's almost like it doesn't want you to get too close to a definitive answer. Uh, and so, therefore, you know, I would imagine that someone in military intelligence or anything like that, uh, that they would find that particularly frustrating. So unless they know something that we don't, and it is possible they don't know any more than we do, they, they certainly wouldn't want anybody else getting too close to it because they want the secrets uh, regarding it for themselves, for their own dubious ends. And the more they can just keep other people away from it, the more they can study secretly uh, on the quiet. But uh, whether that means they're actually learning much more than we are remains to be seen. But uh, I strongly suspect they have done their own science and they would be foolish if they didn't do their own science uh, because, you know, they must know there is something going on here which is not explained. And we should know here, and it's easy to forget this, there are satellites looking down on just about every inch of the planet that surely must show whether or not in one frame you've got an empty field and in the next there's a new massive new crop circle or they've got frames and frames and frames of dots with people moving around making them you'd think wouldn't you if they had the evidence that all of them would just be made by people they probably would have presented that by now the fact they don't makes me think They've seen stuff from up there that they know damn well shows, you know, there's a phenomenon here that they cannot explain away. So they just don't talk about that evidence. They must have the evidence. They must do. They must. You're right. They they do have the evidence and uh, they don't, they hide everything. It's, it's a disaster. You know, I talked, I heard a, a lecture by an old uh, American socialist and I'm not a socialist myself, but he had a very wise thing to say. His name was, um, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm going to forget his name. Maybe it was Norman Thomas. Um, anyway, he said this, where the secrets start, the republic stops. He might as well have said where the secrets start, freedom stops. And that, I think, has also been a, a, a larger theme in your own life and, uh, and certainly in mine as well. And these organism organisms, I would hardly call them organizations because they're they're more about the blood and and essence of our society than they are like bureaucracies. They work as bu like bureaucracies, but the depth of the damage they do 
and the protection they afford is much, much more profound. These intelligence agencies have slipped into the habit of trying to control everything they don't understand. And this is a grave mistake. And I believe that, as you were saying a moment ago, they do have probably much more knowledge than they will ever reveal. But I think the public has much more understanding. And I think you do, and I think some of the people you have interacted with do. And we're going to shift gears in a moment and start to talk about uh, someone we call, you call Job and in the book and what his take on all of this means as we begin to look at it as perhaps something to do not necessarily only with aliens, but with the justice of the earth and the voice of our own planet. Free listeners, I would like to thank you for the time you spent with us today. And we'll see you again next week. Subscribers, we're going to get going a little deeper right now. We're talking to Andy Thomas. His website is truthagenda.org. His new book is The New Heretics. The book we're talking about, or the story we're talking about, is Crop Formations. And he's obviously a fabulously well-informed expert. One of the best I've ever talked to, I must say. Goodness, you remember, I'm sure, Michael Glickman. Um, Michael was a wonderful fellow, and he was our crop circle reporter on Dreamland for many years, and we would talk to Michael every summer about the formations. Now, tell us a little bit about who Job was, and I don't know if he's even still with us. So, so, uh, so Job is a, is a character who lives on another plane. So uh, Paul Bura, uh, who who died around ten years ago now, uh, this Job was the main sort of character that he would channel through. So if you right. were speaking to Paul, he, there would be other characters, other personalities that he would take on in the way that mediums of that kind do. But Job was the, the main point of contact that you had. Yeah, I, I should have made myself more clear uh, before I, I, but I was wanting to end the, end the first part of it with, with, bit of a teaser folks let's we we need to start actually talking about paul first rather than just about joe but let's talk about paul burr a little bit and uh his role in all of this you when you met paul how did you meet paul and uh how did you the two of you decide to work together so paul had been an actor for many years he had a fantastic voice you can still hear some of his voiceovers online and he had a beautiful Richard Burton like voice and he became interested in the crop circles that were appearing near his home uh, around Lansing in uh, West Sussex and uh, he then got friendly with uh, uh, a couple of gentlemen uh, Mark and Jason Porthouse uh, who are still good friends today and they would take him in and around the crop circles now I should say that Paul was partially crippled. He had had polio 
as a child. So he had sort of a very weak leg. He could, he could walk a little bit, but in the end, you'd have to carry him around the fields if you wanted to do any length of time. And uh, we did a fair amount of carrying Paul up and down hillsides. Uh, and he took this with great humor and he was a very humorous person. But we were holding meetings about crop circles uh, in Sussex. We are still going, by the way, 31 years on. And we've expanded to cover other stuff these days. But and, and suddenly there was this gentleman at the back of the room, this huge voice. And every time he spoke, you would you, take notice. And he would, you know, be throwing in what he knew about the crop circus where he was. And it was then getting to know Paul and realizing that he was involved with the whole psychic world that, that we really came up with this idea of, well, what, what if we could use your skills to try to communicate with the crop circle makers? So the main communicator that you would work with was this being called Job, who'd had a number of lifetimes on Earth. I should say here, just in case anybody's wondering, we didn't know anything about this. We, we were not at this stage knowledgeable about psychics or mediumship. We didn't know whether this was true or not true. Even Paul said, I don't know if this is true, but these characters are coming through. So take it or leave it. And we thought, yeah, let's take it. Let's just see where it goes. And we all took that attitude that we should perhaps just try this. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, incredible things did happen to us. Crop circles appearing, strange lights, you know, incredible things happened through our contact with uh, Paul. And the point that Job would make was, look, yes, there are intelligences beyond this earth, but there's different planes. There's physical intelligences, what we call aliens and things, but the spiritual ones that people today would call ascended masters. And there is the Devic realm. And he spoke a lot about the nature spirits. The divas in sort of traditional history are, are the nature spirits. And interaction with the divic world was considered to be crucial if you wanted to get on well in nature and you know have the earth respond to you. You had to respect the divas. And something that Job would say was, you've got to get the divas on your side. But you can't speak directly to divas. It's almost like they're too removed from us. So what you need to speak to are the guardians of the areas where the divas live. So we, we had this wonderful sort of a voyage of going to different places in Sussex with Paul as our channel, trying to then make contact with the spiritual guardians of the areas where the crop circles were appearing. And we would meet these different characters and they would have different personalities and different voices. And, uh, you know, I know there are skeptics out there thinking, well, I don't believe this. We just thought, you know what, let's just go for this. And, and it was incredible. It was entertaining. These people, you could have like, we are here conversations. You could even laugh with some of them. Was this just another side of Paul? Was it from where they said they were? We will never know. And yet what we learned from it and then the very incredible experiences we had from it made us think, well, actually there is something to this. You know, whatever's going on here, we have tapped into something much wider. And although in the years since and in the end, Paul moved away, he got ill and eventually passed away. But, you know, we didn't go back to that kind of work, but we never forgot the lessons that we learned that there was an interactive quality and that, you know, what we came out of it with, especially after the formation appeared that was exactly as we had expected that it would be, was that we know now 
just for our own satisfaction that there is something of credibility here. We don't need to shake the fist and try and get the rest of the world to agree with that. But he gave us the conviction to keep going and share our truths and share knowledge about the crop circles. And in my case, Martin's case and some of the other people involved, then to go out and look at other mysteries and look at other things where freedom of expression was not being respected. That all came from that work that we did with Paul and with the crop circles and the lessons. I like to feel we, we've used them well. And here we are today in a world that is topsy-turvy. AI is about to take over if we're not careful. You've got US congressional hearings on UFOs. It feels like all old certainties are being overturned. But I like to feel that what we came out of those years with has given us a solid center to, to work and to help, you know, as much as we can in these very strange times and just try and keep a very balanced view on this without going mad. And some people do struggle with all this information. But I, I think that's what we came out of it with and we managed to stay sane. Uh, and I pay tribute to all the beings we worked with and to Paul, bless him, uh, and that we did learn something useful from it. And I like to feel that we still uh, apply those lessons today, albeit in new realms. In new realms, indeed. Um, I had a, um, uh, I guess, a, I've, I've wondered about where the formations are going now and what the seasons are like. Uh, you know, there was a time when there were tourists going in buses to the formations and outraged farmers and farmers that were making money off of the formations in a whole different sort of world. And a lot of people working in the farming community to try to get farmers to, to mow them down as fast as possible and others trying to do the opposite and get them to set up pay points so that they could make some money off of the formations that appeared in their fields and make it worthwhile for themselves. Is that, is there any of that now or is it all sort of faded away? No, it is still, still all of that is going on. Maybe not on the scale that it was, uh, but yeah, there's still interest. There are still parties coming over from other countries. Uh, I mean, I'm involved with the conference called the Glastonbury Symposium that discusses everything these days, but it began as crop circles. We still have a crop circle coach tour where we take people to at least a crop formation. So that there's plenty of that going on. There is the Crop Circle Exhibition Center, uh, which is run by a lady called Monique. And, you know, that is still a place to go to if you want to know what is going on in the fields of Wiltshire. Uh, there are still farmers that are getting very annoyed. There's other farmers that will open their fields up, usually to raise money for charity, I should say. So it is still going on. There is a research community still. I would say that what has changed is that the research has gone a little bit more into armchair research. There's a lot of people online arguing about nice photographs they've seen a few less people than there probably should be actually going into the fields and measuring and collecting data and looking at the physical phenomenon. However, it, you know, it's nice that the interest keeps going. 
and I found it really interesting. There was a video released on YouTube earlier this year. There, there's a, there's a, an online series called The Y Files, and this chap kind of you know looks at different mysteries. And there was one about the crop circle mystery and potential CIA cover-ups. And it had two million views within about a day. And wow. you know, because the view that you get from the media is nobody's interested anymore. Don't look at crop circles. Everybody thinks they're nothing now. That's not true. And there's younger people. That was interesting. And that has a younger audience, that show. There's younger people coming to the crop circles afresh. And so people are coming to the field still, not in the numbers that they used to know, but the people that do still get a rewarding stimulation from it. And they're finding that that same journey of inquiry that you have to go on to come to terms with them is still there. So I know there are people in the, the crop circle world who've been around for a while. They look back to what they call the golden age of crop circles that long ago, long ago passed. I don't really agree with that. I think every age of crop circles is a golden age for somebody. And although the numbers of them are not as much as they used to be, that's true. The quality of them is still pretty phenomenal. And if we had some of the crop circles that we were getting today, back in the early 1990s, we would have all fallen over in shock. We've just got used to them. We've got used to them being completely incredible and amazing to the point where our quality control has gone up to a level where if one's not quite as nice as another one, we think, oh, that's disappointing. Actually, if you showed that to somebody from 1991, they'd be staggered by what they're seeing. So it's all relative. And, and I think we should always be careful to remember that there are new people coming to crop circles that are still deeply moved by them, deeply affected, and they're Therefore, this phenomenon still has a value in the world. So there are also very sophisticated formations being made by people now, which wasn't true early on, but they've gotten better at it. And you'd think that with the decline in public interest, their activities would also decline. Uh, I seem to recall that there was a pub in Devizes where people who alleged that they made crop formations hung out. I, I recall Anne and I went to that pub and couldn't find anyone willing to show us their, their techniques, but they did claim, the people in there were claiming that they had made crop circles. There's always been, since Doug and Dave, somebody somewhere saying they make them. And we know some are man-made, but when you look at the man-made formations, the length of time they take, the damage they usually uh, usually leave, um, the geometry, all of, those, of these aspects are never as good as the ones, shall we say, that appear more mysteriously, or where they do make very good ones. They're taking sometimes days to create. You know, you don't knock this yeah. kind of incredible, stunning geometry up in just a couple of hours. Um, you know, people need to remember that in the middle of the summer, many of these crop circles are appearing in fields right next to busy roads. They're overlooked by housing estates and flats, and you can see into the fields very clearly. You've barely got five hours of true darkness in which to make that and not right. be caught. And there's now around 10,000 recorded crop formations over the years. And hardly anybody has ever been caught making them. And I think that defies belief. If you say that every single one is man-made, 
the belief that that could be happening and nobody ever gets seen. It, it's too far-fetched. So yes, some are man-made. Everyone accepts that. You look at the circumstances and the time that in, that is involved in man-made formations and compare that to ones occurring, as I say, very quickly and with you know qualities that seem very hard to replicate. It, there's always, therefore, that mystery there. And some people have made claims that are a little bit too extreme. Oh, I know the difference between this and that and whatever. But nonetheless, I think there are certain things you can look out for that do strongly suggest there is simply no way somebody could have made it. And just to give one example, I mean, or two, really, we had two formations this year, but one especially that was beautiful. It had 36 petals. It looked like a sunflower. And in the middle, there was nowhere you could stand. There was no tractor line. There was no trail going into the crop. There was no splodge where anybody had stood. And yet you would need to stand in that crop to have created the ring around which the petals went. And there was nothing. And another formation did the same trick. We've seen no this over the years. No anything to go through. Nothing. And there Remarkable. was not a trail. There was not a mark. And anybody that's ever tried to walk in a field without leaving a mark will know it's almost impossible. Well, maybe so the these, circle so makers these are things learned, that are still happening. The, maybe the circle makers in the pub have had so many, so much beer that they've learned to levitate, learn to flow. Well, we should remind ourselves uh, that when Doug and Dave uh, made their claims back in 1991, when people said, "Well, how did you get to that part of the field without leaving a marking?" which you often need to. Incredibly, they said they had used children's pogo sticks. You know, those sticks with a spring that kids used to jump. Yeah, on. as if a pogo stick. And would journalists work believed this. How do you leap on earthy because ground, forty, fifty feet on a pogo stick? Well, no, they're not true journalists because no, they, they journalists. have a different. They have a hidden agenda. Yes. I should have been challenged, and, and it wasn't. But that just shows you the ridiculousness of it. But here we are today, still seeing new formations, which make that point, and it's still never been explained. Never been explained. I want to now go to two formations that stand out for being fundamentally different from all of the others. Uh, the Chilbolton Formation and the Crabwood Formation. Let's begin by talking about the Chilbolton Formation. And I, I would say, before we start, that I, well, no, I'm not going to give an opinion. I, I, I'll wait. Let's talk first about the Chilbolton Formation. Can you tell us when and where, and, and tell us a little bit about the formation, and then give us your opinions about what may have been going on there? So in 2001, uh, we had two formations, in fact, in one field. It had had crop circles there before with interesting symbolic connections to these, it turned out. But we'll put that aside for today. Um, in a field right next to a radio telescope. So there's a radio telescope there. It's really there for atmospheric research, but nonetheless. And in the field was a long strip of code and sort of little sort of blocky images, which was a very slightly altered version of the famous SETI signal that was beamed out into space in 1974 by the Arecibo dish. Now, 
what was interesting was in that original message, it showed human DNA, it showed where our planet was, it showed the Arecibo dish and what we look like as creatures. So that anybody in deep space one day receiving that message would know what life on Earth was like. So what we had in the field changed the DNA. It showed a different creature with a bigger head looking a little bit more like the greys that you would recognize and other changes, almost like it was describing life elsewhere. And then a couple of days apart from that appeared a face, a humanoid face. And it was very vague to the eye at first because it was made of dots. It was like pillars of crop. But that vagueness enabled you to get half tones when you blurred the image. So when you blurred the image of the face, suddenly there was this very three-dimensional humanoid face staring out. Some thought it looked a bit like the face on Mars. Yes, I did it, think you know, that. You know, others thought it was an alien face. Some thought it was the Turin Shroud and so on. However, it was the first truly pictorial formation that we'd really had where you could get this three-dimensional image. And that then seemed to mark a, a sort of a turning point. And I should say here, of course, the critics said, well, our signal won't even have got out there far enough yet for anybody to have found it in deep space. But of course, the counter argument to that is, yeah, but hang on, they are here already. They know exactly, <laughs> exactly. what we're putting out, you know, so that doesn't really count. But then a year later, I think exactly to the day of one of the Chilbolton formations, I'd have to check that, you get just outside of Winchester in Hampshire, as you say, at an area called Crabwood, this extraordinary picture of a classic sort of grey alien holding a disc of a binary code. This time, the alien was made not of dots, but of fine lines scanning across, getting wider, getting thinner. And again, when you blurred the image, you got this incredible three-dimensional view of the classic sort of alien that we would recognize. Uh, but then what was even more extraordinary was that the disk was rendered in ASCII code. And of course, ASCII code can generate text on a computer. And it was this kind of very portentous sort of warning and yet offering hope that went along the lines of beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. And then we oppose deception, there is a conduit closing, and so on. But interestingly, there was a line about uh, we oppose deception and there is still time, believe. So that it was offering hope, it was acknowledging something was not right in the world and there was lots of deception, but happily it offered hope as well. And that's the only formation to date that has had that much information in it that where yes. you can actually read a message. There have been fragments of codes, there have been words since, but just fragments. We had the word love, for instance, encoded into a formation last year. But a long message like that. It, it was never claimed by anybody, never explained. It wasn't a known quote. And, you know, as the years have gone by since that formation in 2002, people look at it and think, you know what, that message takes on more resonance by... More years. and more resonance. More and, and more. So when, now we wonder. When I sat listening to the congressional hearing with David Grush, I, I've long since memorized that message because of my relationship with the visitors. I, the second it came, even before I saw the message, 
before I, the formation was reported, I knew something had happened important and that I was to really look for it. And uh, so I've known the message's importance from the beginning. Uh, beware the bearer of false bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. There is good out there. We oppose deception. There is good out there. Much pain, but still time. But the time has changed. It's running out now. Uh, the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises were discussed in that hearing when David Grush talked about the fact that we have bodies and we have, at least in the United States, we have bodies and we have uh, craft and materials. I know we have the craft and materials and bodies for the simple reason that one of the officers who was personally involved at the Air Materiel Command direct, directly was uh, General Arthur Exon, who was a family friend of my family. And my uncle Mickey was there too. And General Exon held one of the bodies in his arms. And the, there, there were they didn't have a whole craft but they had substantial pieces and later did find another craft in Aztec, New Mexico, which was intact. Um, those are the false gifts, in my opinion. Mm. And the broken promises, you don't see us flying around in UFOs, do you? We did not get the secret of the UFO's propulsion system. All we got was 80 years of secrecy that was basically because they knew they had something extraordinary of incredible potential military importance and they wanted to understand it and master it before they revealed it to the public they were tricked into keeping the secret tricked and that's where we are today unfortunately the good seems still to be out there, Andy, not in here. Where do we go from here? And never say that I ask hard questions on Dream. <laughs> I, I do think that the, you know, the discussions in the US Congress are historic. I know there's a lot of worry that it's another deception of some kind. The way I see it is this. You've got people like David Fravor and Ryan Graves, well-known pilots, very respected pilots, describing seeing incredible things flying around, contravening all the laws of physics. These people know what they're talking about. Although even now I've heard skeptics trying to say, oh, they only saw balloons. And this is the madness of the world that we live in. But then, of course, yeah, with David Grush, I mean, his claims uh, they are extraordinary. They're in keeping with everything we've heard over the years. The question is, where does this go next? Because if this is what it appears to be, they've managed to do something. I don't know whether they realize themselves that they've done it, and they being the military authorities. They have announced that there is a technology out there which is far in advance of anything that we are publicly aware of, and even if you say it's alien or black ops human technology, the world has fundamentally shifted 
because there's something out there that if that was announced to the world would undermine our entire world economy, the oil economy. You're getting things that can turn right hand angles in the, you know, in the air without killing what's inside, presumably. This changes everything. And whether it turns out to be from another world or a hybrid of what they've built, as you say, from what they've recovered, either way, the fact that they've acknowledged it, I think it is fundamental. And I wonder yes. where that's going to go next. And will they misuse that information? Very likely. However, I don't think they can undo this. And I know there's a lot of character assassination now against David Grush and people are saying, oh, well, he didn't have the rank that he said and he never saw this stuff personally. However, other people have gone to talk to the people that he's talked to and have come back and basically said, actually, this does pose a security issue. And that's the thing that whatever's going on here, they're managing to say, if you don't investigate this, you are endangering American lives. And the public doesn't want that. So they're now having to investigate without ridicule. And yeah, I think we'll look back at those hearings uh, one day and realize how historic they were. If anybody hasn't watched it, go onto YouTube and watch all two and a half hours of it. It's absolutely riveting. And some of the claims made are slightly worrying. Uh, I can't remember which one, but somebody said he believed he'd been harmed by one of these craft, well, but he, he wouldn't also then, wouldn't then give the detail. He he also alluded to him and his wife having some kind of very negative experience with this. Yes. And, you know, I know a number of people in the, in, in and around the intelligence community who have all had negative experiences. None of them, as far as I know, have had really complex experiences like I have and like most of the uh, sort of civilian close encounter witnesses end up having where it starts out very rough, but then if you keep with it, it becomes a very, very valuable part of your life. That's what happens to us. They stay, stayed with the rough and never got past that. Um, the um, So I, I think that the what basically is happening is that the governments are hiding two things one is the fact that the abductions happened and they either let them happen uh negotiated some sort of treaty that allowed them to happen or couldn't stop them or in some degree degree all three that's a huge secret and they're going to cling to that secret with their lives because they're the whole infrastructure depends on keeping that hidden. Uh, the, the viability of the Pentagon is a believable source of anything. And then the, the second thing is that they can't do anything about this at all. They can, I know in my book, Them, I analyzed papers that had been written by people who have claimed publicly that they work on this. And these papers are all about particle beam weapons and lasers and things like that. Things that would be super powerful, ultra fast weapons that could destroy something at a great distance. And yet they're not deployed. And we don't have any UFOs flying around. There's another thing. 
A huge amount of money has been spent on this, mostly American money. I don't think the British government has spent too much on it, but you don't know because you know how their secrecy works. It's so convoluted in both countries that God knows what they're actually doing. Mm -hmm. But it's massive. There's something massive hidden out there, Andy. Well, I think they even acknowledged in the congressional hearings this huge amount of money that is unaccounted for every year. That did actually yeah, came yeah. discussed. And it is huge. We're talking billions of dollars just unaccounted for. If any other company or, you know, or business was to announce that they'd lost that much money that they couldn't explain, there'd be a public inquiry. But it's all right when the government's lost that much. And obviously they haven't lost it. It's been appropriated to different directions into research clearly into the areas that you're discussing um for that money just to be vanishing nowhere i don't believe that, that there's no function to that and i'm sure black ops military and investigation of the nature that you're referring to here i'm very sure that is occurring but it makes me think how long now can they keep the lid on this and if the beings, you know, are running out of patience with the agreements, whatever they had with human uh, authorities, you know, at what point do they say, you know what, we're just going to do what we want to do. You had your time. It, where do you feel it's going to go, Whitley? Um, well, I think that they've always indicated to me that the closer the planet gets to fundamental changes in its ability to support human life, the closer they will come to us. But I don't have any indication that they're going to save us. It's not the cavalry coming in at the last minute. Uh, I, and as to what I'm talking about in terms of the planet, they have said it will come upon them unaware. So it's like a sword of Damocles that hangs over my head because mm -hmm. I've never known the visitors say anything to me that wasn't true. Uh, they've been, they've never lied to me. And when I, I have combed and combed the records, the uh, uh, environmental situation, trying to understand what might come upon us unaware, what might we not expect? Where is the black swan? And I'm not sure. But it leaves me in a situation where I, when every day ends, I think, thank goodness, today has been a good day, and I hope tomorrow will be too. Andy, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. You are truly an expert when it comes to crop formations and probably many other things too. Truthagenda.org, Truth The New Heretics, Andy Thomas, way out at the edge where probably a lot of us hesitate to go, but more of us belong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.